big thanks to Capital One for sponsoring this month of Revision Path. The Capital One digital team is a diverse group of people who work together to build great products for the enterprise and to disrupt how people interact with their money, their bank, and their financial lives. Curious about what they're working on and how they're growing? Check them out at CapitalOneCareers.com or at their Medium community at Medium.com forward slash Capital One Design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. You know, there's three things that sets designing at Facebook apart from designing anywhere else. Scale, variety, and investment. Facebook Design's work has impact at scale, including your friends and family or people from the other side of the globe. Facebook Design also works on a huge and diverse range of problems, and they truly invest in design, caring deeply about how their team might do their best work. Sound interesting? Then learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Did you know that MailChimp sends 6 billion emails a week and helps millions of customers in over 175 countries? I mean, with millions of customers also comes millions of insights. So you can get really powerful data on your campaigns and your ads and get personalized advice for your next marketing move. So whether you're just starting out or you want to take your business to the next level, give MailChimp a try. Check them out at MailChimp.com. For the month of February, Revision Path will be talking to black women who are a part of the Capital One Digital Team. The Capital One Digital Team is a diverse group of people who work together to build great products for the enterprise and to disrupt how people interact with their money, their bank, and their financial lives. This week, we're talking to Arnie's Hart, a senior product designer at Capital One Bank. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, I'm Arnie's Hart. I'm a product designer at Capital One Bank. Um, currently based in Washington, D.C. I identify most with being a multidisciplinary creative from Brooklyn, New York, mainly because throughout my 10-year career, I've been you know, exposed to traditional graphic design for print, fast-paced advertising, branding, packaging, and quite recently, videography, and of course, my work in product design. And so the environment of creative of creativity is essentially my second birthplace. I feel like I do it all, or at least I try to. Okay. Now, people may not think of design and banking really kind of going, I guess, hand in hand in a way. So I'm curious to know from <laughs> you, what were your biggest surprises working for a bank? I didn't realize until I moved down here from New York that Capital One had such a presence in the DMV area. And they really marketed themselves as, or to the design community, as a tech hub. 
I thought I was going to come up in here and it was just going to be like outdated technology, you know, sterile. And it was almost like I was at the Google office, to be honest. I, I worked at Google for a little bit and I was very surprised at how laid back the overall culture was and that we had so many resources at our disposal. It was it was kind of a, a wake up call. And I was like, hey, so there's actually some things happening, like some things are popping over here on the bank side. Like this isn't your like usual credit union, which is, you know, pretty bland. It's been fun. It's been two and a half years been here. And each day is 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 an exciting one for me. Well, speaking of that, what is a regular day like at work for you? My days are rarely typical. It really depends on the project and who's involved. The Capital One Design Organization has nearly six hundred associates. We're all spread across from like different lines of business. I'm particularly in consumer bank. There's auto loans, card, commercial card, and a bunch more across the United States. Like we're in DC, of course, New York, Richmond, tons of places across the United States. But it's really difficult for us to even pretend to operate like a startup, despite the feel being similar to a startup. And thankfully, I don't need to talk to like everyone. I don't need to talk to all 600 designers. I pretty much stay in my line of business and with the people in my pod, that's through product, of course, my design partners and, and tech. And so our sole goal is to essentially reduce financial anxiety by equipping users with the best kind of transparency, specifically in their checking accounts and, tra- and transactions. So my week usually consists of like rituals that span across our partners, the sprint teams. My day is usually conversations with product spending time to like iterate and get our devs to push on what we think is feasible or what may not be feasible and meeting with like content strategists to align on tone just to make sure that we don't sound like a bank, you know, again, not having that sterile feel. We want to be very approachable and Capital One's tagline, if you will, is changing banking for good. And so we really want to change the I guess, emotions that people have towards banks, which is usually like, oh, they're greedy. They're going to put me in debt, which that's been the narrative, you know, for since the, uh, you know, the the dawn of time. But I definitely try to spend my time doing the work and really owning it. And I take a lot of care in my calendar. I take a lot of care in my day. And the company gives me so much autonomy to just navigate all of those pieces the way that I see fit. And so each day is different. And depends on my mood and but I get a lot done so it's yeah it's cool you mentioned when you first started working there that it kind of reminded you of a tech hub what other ways has that design environment been different from other places that you've worked I mean just the with the exception of Google the sheer size of it I'll tell you about my journey but I pretty much navigated the New York tech startup scene and a lot of those companies I was the sole designer and my perspective was the only perspective, you know, as, as a creative. And so the fact that I have potentially 600 people that I can reach out to that influence and elevate my thinking as a creative is, I guess, new for me professionally. And just environment-wise, our headquarters is actually in Northern Virginia, but the proximity to D.C. is very close. And so, you know, coming from New York City, DC isn't as fast as New York, but I guess is kind of close to it. The environment here in the office is still fast paced. I feel like we are, we're definitely contributing to 
a lot of the patterns that we see in the design community. And that makes me feel like we're, we're definitely like on the front running. What are some of those patterns? So I'll use an example, and not just because I contributed to it. <laughs> <laughs> I humble brag, humble brag. When I first started here, I was on an account management team. So essentially that dealt with projects like, hey, I lost my debit card. And I essentially owned a lot of the debit card servicing features, getting you that new debit card, making sure you, you know change your address and it's going to the right spot, other things. But one in particular that really up the industry, uh, the financial industry specifically, was the debit card tracker. And transparency at a bank is unheard of, which is why people don't trust banks a lot. So the fact that we're telling you what's happening with your card as it's getting made, it's getting handcrafted for you, you know, we kind of jazzed it up a little bit, but we really let them know, hey, you're going to get on this date so that way you can have access to your money as soon as possible. We want you to know that we are putting you first and that you are a priority. And Financial wellness is is at the forefront of our, our goal. And so our debit card tracker was definitely something that other banks don't have. You don't know when you're going to get your card if you with Bank of America. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, shots fired. Yeah, shots fired. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that was a, probably one of the best examples. And it was such a fun project. And it was one of those things where we did so much research from from companies outside of the financial industries to like really inform how we're going to do this. And it was built beautifully and the response to it is amazing. Are there other products or designs that you're proud of having worked on at Capital One? Um, yes. And I can talk about the space that I'm in now. So I've actually transitioned to a new team. Well, not really new anymore, but I'm in the decisions and money space. And essentially that's working directly with transactions. Whereas before I was working more of account-based stuff, account management stuff, excuse me. One that I'm super proud of, and there's a lot of companies, you know, you've got Venmo, you've got Cash App, you've got these on-demand money sending apps, and, you know, all of the banks have Zelle. And mm -hmm. internally, this is a win because when I got put onto this new team, I was pulled directly into this and I was able to pump out the experience in less than a month. Once I did that, we had almost three sprint teams working on it at the same time to make sure that we get it out on desktop, mobile, and iOS and Android. And we pumped that out in like another month. And then it was launched to everybody. And it was just such a huge win because despite all of the constraints that you have in such a large organization, tech debt, just not being able to prioritize the right sprint teams at the right time, it was such a unprecedented success to get that out and have people using Zelle to send money to their friends. It was, it was such a dope moment. Now, you said earlier that your typical day is is hardly typical. Like, it just kind of <laughs> depends on what it is you're working on, et cetera. I'm curious kind of just about your creative process. Like, how do you end up approaching a new project at Capital One? Well, I've definitely gotten to the point where the designing part isn't the heaviest lift. So the traditional design process that you see, starting with empathy, going into, you know, iterations and wireframing and whatnot, really isn't my process anymore particularly for the work here. I know that we can execute a great design. I trust my partners on the tech side to follow my direction and work with me through QA. And it's all of the pieces that support that design to make it a holistic success. We have, we tagged our feature the right way so that way we can get the metrics to inform our designs later on and basically contributing to a realistic roadmap that 
multiple sprint teams have to, you know, align on. Have we allowed room to possibly test this feature online or bring people in? Like it's those smaller moving pieces underneath the design that my process has evolved under. I definitely work with our product team much closer than the traditional designer. We craft the intent together. We read the feedback from our customers. Oh God, are we reading the feedback? We're doing it every single week. And people are angry because guess what? This is sensitive. This is about their money. They want these features to make things easier. If we're going to solve the huge problem of financial anxiety, I need to know what causes you anxiety. It's going to cause me anxiety because that's a lot of responsibility because I want you to live an easy life. I want to equip you with the right tools to be able to manage your money properly and have the confidence to do that and have the confidence in us. And so my process is really like the start of the process is really to just understand those type of mental models. Like I said, we were pretty collaborative despite our size. I make sure I talk to anyone who may be related to the MIN goal. Maybe there's some work that I can leverage, some research that I can leverage to pull in someone else that maybe did something similar. Maybe we could jam on that. And this is where the autonomy bit comes in because Mm -hmm. I can handle it sort of any way that I want. If I want to do testing, like I said, to inform those questions, I can. I can get six people in here and put a, a wireframe in front of them. I can write the script and I can moderate those sessions and synthesize that later on. And it really isn't until, you know, I've done a lot of the groundwork, the conversations that I really hop into sketch and I pump that stuff out. It may be that I contribute to our design patterns like I did with the Deborah Tracker. It's something that doesn't exist on the website or in the app right now. So something like a slider or just some specific type of interaction that other people in the design organization can use for theirs, for their features. So in that way, it's pretty rewarding. As I was saying, a a lot of my days, it's not really the same. And so my process really just depends on the type of project. But that's pretty much how it goes. Like design isn't at the forefront. The customer is always at the forefront. And that's how I approach everything. And it's good that you are are taking that feedback and doing the research before just hopping in and just making changes. I, I think that's important for people that are listening who are not designers, who can sometimes mm-hmm. look at the design process as being maybe a bit, I don't know, shrouded in mystery in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's good for them to know that there's actually a lot of research and things that go into it. So we're not just getting in Photoshop or Sketch or something. Absolutely. Just creating without any sort of intent. Right. And a big part about being user centric is like I said, just understanding where they're coming from and just being able to just not make assumptions. Like making assumptions is the death of user experience. You don't know who you're designing for until you know what's up with them, until you talk to them. And so earlier I spoke about, you know, the resources that Capital One has in particular. I can go to Wilmington, Delaware or Richmond, Virginia, where we have a lot of our call centers, hit somebody up there, say, hey, I'm Arnie's. I work in D.C. I'm doing something for upcoming transactions and for, for people out there, upcoming transactions, maybe like your Netflix subscription or Hulu subscription. And you know that this money is going to come out of your account because it's logged at the top of your account and you know that's going to come out later on. And so I can hit them up and I'm like, yo, I'm doing this work. Do you mind if I shadow you and listen to a lot of the phone calls that you're getting? I don't do that all that long. Maybe I, I try to get in there maybe like once a quarter to just listen to maybe a feature isn't working the way that we think it is. 
maybe the customer doesn't know that we've done this great feature and is calling about it and they're pissed. And so we know that we have to do a little bit more work to maybe to get it to reach out or we're taking a lot of the frustration that we hear to craft some new intent. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I'm telling you, never did I think in New York City working for like the cool startups, you know, the real like flashy ones in New York City mm-hmm. that I think I'll be at a bank happy as a clam. Well, let's go back to New York. I'm, I'm curious to kind of know about the early moments of your career. You said you worked at Google, you've worked at some other places. Mm-hmm. What were those kind of first work experiences like for you? So professionally, I guess my story began in college, age 19. And working for a friend in the family, his name is um, Tony Rassan, he mentored me early and had me working at the Empire State Building at FUBU. That's with entrepreneur Damon John from Shark Tank. And I got like a firsthand look at Tony's own creative business. I was exposed to the culture that I've always known, hip hop, just like that urban culture that I grew up in. But as an intern, I ultimately knew that I wanted to work in advertising. And so after a while, like I didn't pay attention to what was right in front of me mm-hmm. and the opportunities that I could create for myself, you know, working for such a, you know, a big figure like Damon. I felt like I needed to expose myself to other work environments. And that was my main priority. And so I guess like I really just like jumped off with working at this startup in Bushwick They're going to try to tell you it was East Williamsburg, but any Brooklyn (laughs) girl knows that it was Bushwick. (laughs) Stop trying to make a new neighborhood. So, yeah, the startup in Bushwick, it was in a loft space. I found it on Craigslist and like the selling point was like a ping pong table in the office. Like this was basically the, the hipster era of like the traditional look of a designer was a white guy with a flannel shirt. Yeah. glasses and a mustache. And like, I knew I didn't fit that profile, but I, f- I felt like I had this flavor that, you know, a lot of these companies did, you know, didn't see before I had a particular style where, you know, my colors were pulling from, you know, somewhere just nice and refreshing. And I really thrived on being able to immerse myself in any environment and shine. And a lot of that is I attribute back to my upbringing and having my mother be in the, in the military and traveling a lot and not just living in New York, but in Virginia and Texas and Germany and Jersey and, you know, everywhere else. And so I like, you know, I like to pull from those experiences of traveling. It made it easier for me to come in somewhere new and just try to own it. So it sounds like, I guess, creativity was kind of a big part of your childhood, being able to like you said, travel and be in these different places. Did that help influence mm-hmm. you as a designer? Absolutely. Like I, like I said, we're from Brooklyn and I grew up loving graffiti. I figured out how to draw and the family was like, gosh, she knows how to draw. And by the <laughs> way, it took my mother probably until like last year, <laughs> like 10 years in the game to know, oh, my daughter doesn't draw for a living. Like she now knows that like <laughs> I'm designing like for the digital space, which is pretty wild. But um, like I said, like very early, I had an affinity for music. And basically, like the lifestyle of hip hop was probably my first point of reference as, as inspiration. My mother and my father, they were young parents. So culturally, anything that a young, like 19 year old was interested in early 90s, late 80s, like I was right there with them. Like mm-hmm. moms was bumping the hot new Mary album with, you know, what's the 411. And my dad's like, sat me down and we both listened to Wu-Tang's like Enter the 36 Chambers and 
he's explaining RZA's sampling technique to me and relating it back to like Rakim. And it's just like, I knew that my family was from Brooklyn and I knew exactly what that meant for like my identity, you know? And so, you know, if I related working at FUBU and working with Tony and Damon, that was like the first home for me. You know what I'm saying? Like it, I really made the connection through my childhood, through being a child of the internet and knowing how to operate Google whenever it launched, designing for message boards and downloading Photoshop on the sneak tip and, you know, just like doing (laughs) like, you know, paying attention to like these album covers and wanting to design these album covers. It just, it just opened up a whole new world. It was like, yo, I can actually make money doing this. And it just evolved from there. And once I, like I said, discovered the digital space, you know, past the traditional graphic design, it's, it's just really when I started to come into my own. Now you've been in the design game now for 10 years. You know, like you said, you've done work in New York, you're doing work mm-hmm. now in DC with Capital One. When you look back at your career as a designer, what do you wish you would have known when you started? Oh my God. Like, it's so crazy. I see, you know, I see these cats coming out of school knowing stuff that, you know, it took me five years of like working to figure out. I'm so envious. But I think the biggest one, and I'm, I'm not going to call it a regret or anything. I just wish I knew how to one, sell myself better. I know how to interview. I knew how to speak to people. I knew how to let people know that, you know, I'm an artist and this is what I do and I'm sensitive about my shirt, you know, but I didn't sell myself in the way that you really knew what I was about in terms of, I was doing some really dope stuff. Like I was 19, 20 years old working at this agency designing for Vitacoco and designing for Kind Snacks, which are packaging stuff that's, you know, still exists right now. I was a little shy to talk about that. I knew how to build relationships, but I didn't know how to build on those too much. For example, I'll, I'll use, you know, working at FUBU. Like I was in the same office as Damon John at 19 years old. Wow. I should be like, you know, I should have like my own company at this point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, like, I, like I really, I really sit back and think, and I was like, yo, I, I, I had the opportunity to pick his brain in the best way. And he definitely taught me some things and it was so electrifying to be in that office but if I had the grind, I, mean, I was definitely on the grind then, but like if I had the just the long-term thinking and strategic vision that, that I you know have now when I was 19, like who knows where I'd be right now? I'm definitely happy and, I'm, and I love my journey. I love the things that I've accomplished, even the bad things that has happened that I've learned from. Those relationships that I had at an early age in my career, I wish I had just like paid a little bit more attention and not just let them become you know, relationship on Facebook, you know what I'm saying? Still cool with a lot of people, but not in the way that, you know, we could have built something together. We could have done a lot more. And I I wish I paid a lot more attention to that then. I'm so glad that you mentioned that about kind of selling yourself better, because I'm finding Mm -hmm. that this is an issue that, so right now I'm, you know, hiring for positions and Mm -hmm. I've I've done this, I think. Oh, okay. So for people that are listening, Capital One's hiring, but even back when I had my studio and I was hiring for, you know, designers and such like that, I would find that it was, it was just so hard for people to be able to sell themselves outside of just kind of being a set of hands that can do the work. Mm -hmm. It's like, instead of being a designer, they almost would talk about themselves as if they were a mechanic. Yeah. yeah, You know, I can, I can do the Photoshop things. I've got these skills. I can do this. I can do this, but like, so can a dozen other people and probably, for much cheaper than whatever your rate is or whatever your salary is. Like what makes you stand out 
in the crowd when it comes to looking for a job, when it comes to interviewing, even when it of comes course. to putting together your portfolio site. Like, how do you like sell that, that bio need Right. That bio needs to go the distance. You need people to know your the range of your expertise. Like, it wasn't until probably year seven for me that I was just like, oh, snap. Like, I'm an expert an expert, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, in visual design. <laughs> I, I, I can actually teach people like what's going on. Like I said, that, that wake up call, you know, came seven years too late. I feel like, like, I agree with you. There's definitely like that artist, they hold back a little bit, I guess, you know, unless you're real, real arrogant and cocky and you out there and it's like, I could do everything. You, you definitely, people definitely do hold back a little bit. And I don't know if it's them wanting to be modest. I'm just like, you know, I, I do the design thing a little bit. You know, I do video a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's like you can actually, like, this is, the things that you do can be your business. And I think I think people are definitely, you know, a lot more in tune to it now. With people on social media, you have the influencers who are like, I am my brand. And Gary Vee saying, you know, anybody can, can be an entrepreneur and anybody can, you are your business. They're much more aware to it right now. But in the digital like, design space, I'm especially passionate, especially now, about teaching people you know, how to interview and letting them know like people like me working at Capital One are looking for. You know, people are definitely doing their best and you know, putting together these decks and showing us their work, but they're not going the distance in a way that really gives us an idea of what it is that you can do. You know, we, see, we see the talent. There's tons and tons and tons of talent out there. We, we want to see some excitement. We want to see some curiosity. And those are the things that I think people are sometimes missing. It's not just black and white. I can do the job. It's, well, what are you going to learn from us? And what do you want to learn? You know, we want somebody to be curious. And like I said, you know, just be a little bit more inquisitive and essentially be a sponge. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's like imposter syndrome or something that prevents people oh, from putting absolutely. themselves out there in that way? Absolutely. Like I said, it took me seven years to be like, oh, snap. I even felt guilty sometimes on my resume saying multidisciplinary. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, being, being from the era where, you know, traditional graphic design was, you had to like do photography at an agency. You had to do web design. You had to do, um, you know, when apps came into play, you know, help somebody design an app. Like these are a lot of different industries within the space. Right. And I just felt guilty putting multidisciplinary because I'm just like, well, can I actually do all this stuff? Like I I'm doing it for work, but I don't want nobody to call me out if something goes wrong or like, I don't really know what the fears are, but I feel like now, like you just got, you got to throw that stuff out the window and just do it. You're not going to learn how to get better until you constantly do it. And you build up the confidence to know it's just like, well, I'm the ish and I'm going to do this and let's work together to make this happen. The younger people are definitely much more braver (laughs) than I was when I was younger. Uh, Like I said, I think so. Yeah. You got 14 year olds on Instagram. Like, oh, well, yeah, producing, okay, producing content. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about I'm a content creator, which is dope. Yeah, they're that's doing true. It. It's yeah. definitely changing the conversation in that way. I know like I'm finding, I don't know. I'm just finding this, this kind of reticence for people to try to step outside of, I guess what they think a company is looking for when it comes mm-hmm. to a position. So I'll give you an example that is not Glitch because I work for Glitch. I don't want to put anybody <laughs> out there, but I'll give you an example. So back when I had my studio, I was always kind of looking for designers to work on. You know, as projects come along, we might need a extra set of hands or something to help out with things. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just so much about 
them being able to do the work, it's also, is this somebody that I can sort of count on and depend on? Because if more work comes in the future, I'd like to not have to do this again. I want to be able to call right. on you and we can kind of get this going. You know, we can make it work. And so I'll put out a position where I'm saying, you know, hey, I'm looking for a front-end designer. You need to know, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, maybe work with a little content, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you the resumes and the, the cover letters, first of all, a lot of people wouldn't even send the cover letter. But sometimes the cover right. letters I would get would just be so generic. My name is John. I want to apply for an open position at your agency. Copy and paste. They had the like, other company's name in it. Yeah. <laughs> to whom it may concern. Dear sir, madam, like, where are you getting this outdated information from? Right. And so I guess I'm curious if, if someone were to, to come to you, like say someone is applying at, at Capital One, we're just saying hypothetically, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them to kind of get them to step outside of that basic way of representing themselves to kind of get to a level where they might be more attractive. And I'm saying as a candidate in terms mm-hmm. of employment, but I just mean kind of as a designer period. Cause I think certainly the people that go out there and get the opportunities are the ones that present themselves with personality. They show mm-hmm. that they're more than just, you know, a 2d designer. There's someone that can think outside the box. They're engaging. They can speak. They have, they're passionate about certain things. You know, what advice would you give for someone like that? not just attached to Capital One, but I think just like my own personal advice as a creative who's been in design and loved design since I was a child, I want to see what your other passions are. I think pulling from inspiration, I don't want it to just be, oh, I, I go to dribble and that's where I pull from inspiration. I know what it feels like to have an experience like traveling to Morocco or going to Cuba and staying there for 10 days and then coming back and feeling mad energized and like that showing in your work and showing in how you present yourself at, you know, at work. So I, I guess the first piece of advice would be to find a passion outside of design. Like even if that is your jam and that, and that's your calling, find something else to like supplement that drive, right? Get inspired and in, in, on a different kind of level. Also on the more professional side, just like take your time intentionally apply to these positions like I know what it's like to be unemployed and or or itching to get out of one company and go to the next because that next company is going to be bomb, right? Just shift your focus away from just about salary and like, oh, I'm going to get this money and you know I'm going to get this position and this title and really pay attention to the culture. The culture can tell you a lot about how the company is going to treat you. You have to align your goals with that with that company do their morals match yours? And if it doesn't, you need to get out of Dodge and you need to find a company that is going to take talent and elevate that, not just as a practitioner and just, but as a partner and someone who's going to be on this journey. Do you trust your company? Do you trust that they're not going to leave you out to dry? Or that way, you know how to navigate if something goes wrong. Those are the type of things I want people to pay attention to. And like I said, I can speak for you know, working at Capital One, because I feel like this was the place where I was able to flourish the most because they saw my potential. I felt like I was popping when I got here, but they saw my potential and, you know, and really, really took it to the next level, A, because they had them resources and B, because I tuned myself to be able to take advantage in the best way of the opportunities that they had here, aside from the work that I was doing daily. 
that's trainings, even on the smaller scale, not just being dazzled by if they have a ping pong table or, you know, if they're going to happy hours every other week, or if you could drink in the office after 6 p.m. You have to pay attention to the things that's going to make you a better creative and a better person. And overall, just like understand your business more. And I would even wager that if you see a place that has those kind of, I'm loath to call them perks, we'll just call them perks. If there's a company that that has those kind of perks, personally, I would be wary of that because one, that's Mm. like old, like... 2000 yeah. startup culture like the whole yeah like, like 2012 you know yeah. what I'm saying? foosball table that. drinks on friday kind of thing i'm like i don't want to work around drunk people I we are so that. past that you know <laughs> right <We're- laughs> and, and especially i think because We're the conversation true. in the whole industry not to say that it shifted you know away from alcohol that's a whole other thing but like it shifted away from the workplace as like a frat house yeah you know, exactly. it's like we do work here so we want to come to work as adults and do work. Christy Tillman, and, who's and, the, actually, uh, and actually feel feel fulfilled in that as well. Right, exactly. Christy Tillman, who is the uh, I think she's the director of global design at Slack. Yeah. Back when she was on the show a few years ago, she referred to perks as filters. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like what might look good to you might not look good to someone else. Like that perk might be the thing that filters you out from actually wanting to work there. I think it's it's important to just spend some time, like you said, to get to know the culture. Like for people that are applying to jobs, please do some research. Absolutely. Walk into that interview knowing the company and not read the paragraph that's attached to the job and the uh, job description. Go in and ask, challenge the people who are interviewing you to let them know that, hey, I'm serious and I want to know what's going on behind these walls in the best way because I want to know how I can come in and make positive change, right? And like I said, or elevate the the environment. And so, you know, it took maybe like the first year and a half and I, and I was very, very happy and I still am. But like now I'm much more vocal because I'm like, hey, you can't make culture happen. Culture is entirely the people that you hire and that you have around you. And so I feel like we have a very positive culture. We have diverse voices. We have people coming here and it's not just an environment where we're all agreeing with each other. We're also not completely disagreeing with each other, but we all are here for the same mission. And that's to change how people view banking. Right. Um, and I think aligning on the, that particular goal sets us up for, sec- for success at the beginning, because I wouldn't necessarily hang out with everyone like on the week, what the goal is for real, but I'm definitely learning from people who I wouldn't have it's very unique because I think about my young self and the people that I associated myself with and thinking, I'm like, oh, snap, I need to hang around this person because they did this and they can teach me this. Here at this company, Capital One, I'm being bombarded with all of this great knowledge from so many people, like I said, over 600 designers that I can reach out to. And I've just grown in so many ways. It's amazing. So yeah, for people that are listening, like, Read the about page, look at their <laughs> social media, like get a sense of the tone and the voice of what the company is. Don't just mm. say stuff because you copied and pasted it from. I cannot stress that enough. Like <laughs> do some basic research. It and, and I mean, you're we're talking about the interview. I'm talking about like the cover letter. Like oh, of basic course. Of research. Course. I cannot stress that enough. I mean, yes, you want attention to detail. Yeah. Pay that attention to detail is so familiar. I think because I think for some companies, depending on the size, like capital one sounds like it's pretty big. 
for a small company, for example, like a startup, I would say that's even more important because they're really super concerned about mm-hmm. making sure that you're a good culture fit. Yes, of, of course. course, they want someone that has the skills, but also like, can we get along with you? Right. You know, it's like it's from, only 10 of us, right? <laughs> right. It's only 10 of us on a day-to-day basis. Like, do we like you? And the culture fit thing is something which I, which transcends gender, transcends race. Granted, those are, are parts of it, I think. Those kind of um, axis points on the, the spectrum of diversity. But just be able to sell yourself, do a little bit of research, like put forth your best possible self of course. when it comes to this. You're not doing yourself any favors if you come in, like you said, with a mis- you know misspellings in your cover letter or generic cover letter, or come into the interview without a presentation during a portfolio review, or yeah. you aren't prepared to at, you know answer those basic questions about crucial parts of a project that you're presenting to us. And those are the things that I really want a lot of the junior designers, or even just people who are new to the UX space, you know, and come in very passionate, but you know, just not really sure of how to approach and like we said earlier sell themselves as experts and so i'm committed to that work i really am i've participated in a number of interviews where we're like i said we're hiring all over the company and so i've seen people come in who've blown me away and i'm just like you know what this is she's it he's it and people who i'm just like wow you know this is not the french you know around the corner this is capital one like i want you to try again hey i wish this person had done this and sometimes it's a shame other times you can tell that they just don't know and i see an opportunity there to really just like elevate my own expertise and i like i said it took a while for me to actually even form that sentence and look at myself as an expert you know Mm -hmm. due to imposter syndrome which i can relate to so I guess I'm here and I'm keeping my eye out on, on people, especially in the DMV area, to help them get to where they need to be creatively. Yeah, I would say for any designer that's listening, if there are juniors that are working under you or you just know junior designers, like just take some time out and help them, please, mm-hmm. because there's not enough. And this is, I think, across the board. There's just not enough mentorship in this community from of course older, more experienced designers, I wouldn't even say older, but just more experienced designers Mm -hmm. to less experienced designers. That pipeline of helping each other out is not really there. Do what you can, reach out, try to help the next generation, just make it better, make it easier, you know? Inside of the community, if you work with these people, like they're they're on your team and you want to help them be successful. So that way, you know, you can possibly learn some things from them. And so I, I feel like everybody has potential. Like I said, you want to go in with a, a high level of curiosity for a new place and be open and be a sponge and take in things so that way you can translate it and, you know, output the work with your own flavor and see how that goes. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Being on this side of, um, I guess, the 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on the lack of hiring and retention and promotion of black women in this industry? I mean, you're a black woman in this industry. You've been in it for mm-hmm. 10 years. Certainly, I think you've probably seen your fair share of other black women at Capital mm-hmm. One or just throughout your career. What are your thoughts on kind of how the industry seems to be lacking on that as a whole? I'll raise you one. Being black, female, and gay. It's, it's disappointing because it's taking such a long, long time to get to this conversation just from an industry level. It's definitely buzzwords like diversity and inclusion are just what they are, buzzwords for a lot of companies. And it's just a little frustrating. It wasn't until I went to Afrotech that I had this like 
moment where I was just like, yo, there's like, like a 9,000 black folks like in this space and I'm finding it difficult, you know, I, or have found it difficult in the past to see someone like me or even just like mirror a type of experience that, that I've gone through as a black woman in this industry. I think, I think it attributes to the people who are leading a lot of these companies. They hire the people that they, you know, that they recognize and that they know, like a lot of white, like you said, frat people from the early days of startups and the early days of designing. It has a lot to do, I think, with the fact that it, up until recently, like with these boot camps, these UAE camps that are coming up now and people deciding to, you know, change careers, enter this space, it wasn't very accessible. I can speak for myself and say that, you know, well, my dad was a little tech nerd and, you know, in 97, we had a laptop and he showed me how to do X, Y, Z and I torrented Photoshop and I had, I had that access, right? And that's why I was able to do it a little bit earlier. A lot of people don't have that. And it's really up to the businesses that are in organizations that are existing now to have a level of outreach to the communities that probably don't have that access. And I'm not just saying it's just a community of Black folks or a community of immigrants. It's just like everyone. And that's how you really open up the pool. You go to those schools and you say, hey, this is an actual industry. This is how, you know, you, you know, for that kid that like me who was doing graffiti in school, this is how you can translate those visual skills. This is how you can elevate your craft. It's opening up programs. It's doing campus recruiting the right way to really make yourself visible to those types of people. So that way you can, like I said, hone and elevate their own skills based on their experiences. I think it's just not enough of that. It's not a lot of investment. And like I said, taking those people with loads and loads of experience and potential, life experiences, I mean, and potential to then bring them into this space so that way they can excel. And therefore, the entire organization excels because you have those different levels of perspective. So I don't know. Like I said, at the moment, it just lies on those those, uh, organizations. And specifically for Capital One, I'm having really tough conversations with my leaders, my VP. We're definitely holding people accountable to like have those really tough conversations about like, yes, we're here. And I, you know, we have for example, you know, senior manager positions, but what are we actually doing to, you know, reach out to the junior people or people who don't know what's going on, or they don't know that Capital One is a tech company and not just a bank. Are we doing our due diligence, you know? Yeah. Cause sometimes I think when you're working at a company, you can be so close to the product, so close to the mission, et cetera. It's a bubble. You re- yeah. It's a bubble. You really don't have an idea of how you're perceived outside of this this bubble of what your company mm-hmm. is. And so you have to get out there and talk to, you have to sort of meet the people where they are. Of course. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? Just anybody young kid or like what in, in particular? We'll say if there's a young black gay woman out there listening and they want to follow in your footsteps. First I would say, Hey fam, what up? <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say, um, something that I didn't do when I, when I was much younger is to find your tribe, right? Instagram has made it so much easier to find people with similar interests. You know, the same people who are going to the same events and parties in your city, like Brooklyn, for example. Find a tribe, find your clan of people who are going to inspire you and, and you're going to learn from. I, I think I mentioned earlier about like, I didn't have a lot of the guidance and I wasn't able to 
I didn't have my own tribe until much later, a group of creators that I can look at and just say, yo, these are my people and, and we're doing this thing, right? So do what you can to, to really build those relationships and talk to these companies. Like, you know, everybody's on Twitter now. You can reach out to, like, for example, don't bombard my DMs now, but <laughs> like reach out to somebody. You see, the, you know, people are on LinkedIn, you see where they work, you know, reach out to them, ask them a question, just say, hey, Arnie, how's, how's working at Capital One? Like you're black and, you know, I'm looking around and I'm not too sure about working at a bank. What do you think? What's your perspective? And to kind of just go from there. That's like really the, I guess, the short answer. There's, there's loads, loads of things that you can do to break into this um, industry. Internet is nice. I do a lot of reading. People are pumping out articles all day long. You can learn how to be in sketch on YouTube. Like just really um, <laughs> be out there and try to, you know, say just use every type of free resource that you can because it is out there. But yeah, but the big one is like find your people. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? So my website is arnice.com. That's A-R-N-E-I-C-E. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Arnice Hart. Go to my website, look at the work, hit me up. Like I said, I live in D.C. I am from New York. I go there quite often. I'm always down to have lunch, talk to people. Just like I said, build a network or a community rather people who care about the same things that I do. Sounds good. Well, Arnise Hart, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, really, you know, for sharing your story. I mean, I think we did spend a good bit of time, of course, talking about what it's like at Capital One, what it's like for you. And hopefully by describing that, maybe it'll break some stereotypes people have about, oh, what's it like to work at a bank? What's that about? You know, I'm having a ball. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, also just sharing, you know, your personal journey, starting as a designer in New York, and then now coming to DC and really kind of putting everything into your work, I think is really inspiring. Certainly, hopefully, for folks that are listening, they can see something in your story uh, that they can, you know, grab onto and hopefully, you know, emulate in their own careers. So thank that's, you so much for uh, coming thank, on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for having this platform, honestly. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Arnie's heart and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Arnie's and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash provision path. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook design, Google design, and MailChimp. Designing at Facebook means more than just making pixel perfect prototypes. It's designing experiences like disaster relief tools or get-out-the-vote efforts. It's working on problems that transform a number of different industries. And it also means caring about the design community and giving back to it as well. If you like influencing strategy and working alongside technical leads and engineers on a product from start to finish, then Facebook design might be for you. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. You know, MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. 
Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. Revision Path is brought to you by Glitch, the friendly community where you'll find the app of your dreams. Make sure you check us out today at Glitch.com. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere, like everywhere in the world. It really helps out. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.